This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome back to our podcast. As we continue our series on programs in America and Canada, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by an old friend, Crystal Tomei. Crystal is the program director at Case Western Reserve. Crystal, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for thanks for having me today. Yeah, so you know, I remember seeing at so many of the EC meetings in AANS and CNS, and I'm reminded about how accomplished you are in terms of academia. And when I heard you went to Case, I was uh, I was really excited about that because it's a program with such a rich history. And again, this is where I think people not interviewing in person miss this. And I'm thinking about all the amazing folks that have trained there in case we would spend 10 minutes just talking about them. Um, Crystal, you want to just give people a little bit of brief history about your program? Yeah. You know, our program has really, uh, it's had a rich history since, as you mentioned, um, Frank Nelson, who was our original chairman, um, he really believed. And I think that the, the mantra that has come down through Case Western has really been that the reason that we're here is not to to advance our own self, but to train those who will come after us. Um, and that was certainly something that was that was uh, the motto of the program from the days of Frank Nelson and has carried forward to Warren Selman. And it's something that that I'm now trying to embrace as program director. That's such a beautiful philosophy. I, I think it really does embody so much of what's the best aspects of neurosurgery and medicine in general, having that forward-looking view, that view outside of oneself. I wonder if you could talk with us a bit about how the program is structured today. I know before we started recording, you recounted changes and growth that have happened in the past seven years. Maybe you can talk about that growth period and how you've continued to further embody those principles. Absolutely. Um, I think one of the really interesting things about the program is it's, it's been such a long, stable program that when I joined the faculty seven years ago, all we've done is grow. Um, all of the same faculty that were there, I think minus a single person is, is still there. And we have doubled the number of faculty in our program over the last seven years as our hospital system, as university hospitals has kind of grown out of a a single kind of main flagship academic hospital into an academic health system, we've really changed the dynamic of how we provide neurosurgical care in Northeast Ohio. So as a result, we've sort of been able to create these focused care centers for a lot of our different subspecialties. So we have kind of a spine focused out in um, the hospitals on the west side of town doing complex spine surgery uh, that previously the complexity of the cases that were able to be done there just weren't the same. Uh, We have a tertiary care center where several of our um, kind of lower acuity tumor, our functional DBS cases are done out at a Hoosier Medical Center. Um, And then we've expanded out to the VA care to one of the largest VAs in the country. and it's just been this really rapid, fast expansion. We've hired, uh, you know, an additional eight people since <laughs> I came on and joined the faculty seven years ago. Which some years it's been an additional person, some years it's been two, um, and it's really just expanded the depth and the breadth of the faculty expertise here, which I think has been a phenomenal benefit to the residents. 
And as a result, we've been able to kind of restructure the training so that we have a meld of kind of the service-based model that we have where everybody's sort of on the main campus service. But then we also have broken out these areas where really delving a little bit more into subspecialty expertise gives the residents kind of a different taste. So we found that functional, um, really being able to immerse into a functional rotation has helped them not only gain the understanding of just the surgical procedure, but all of the perioperative care that goes into that. Um, same with our spine rotation, same with pediatrics. And so we're really looking at how we can continue to evolve the training program to kind of match this rapid growth of the institution. So Crystal, I, I remember the relationship with the Cleveland Clinic in the past, and I know it's changed a lot. So it might be worth just taking a couple minutes to go over that because people will get confused. I remember a case being the university, the academic piece of of uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and case uh, and Cleveland Clinic, I should say, being more sort of like the clinical setting, right? Um, mm-hmm. What is it like now? I know there's a medical school, there's a new medical school there, and you guys have sort of merged in some ways, but the residencies are separate. Is there a intermarriage? Is there rotations on either side, or is it just more sort of like an academic affiliation? So the the relationship is a pure academic affiliation with the medical school at Case Western Reserve University. Uh, School of Medicine. So uh, Case Western Reserve University now is a multi-affiliate model with three um, kind of affiliate hospitals, ourself, Cleveland Clinic, and then the Metro Health Center, which is the um, more community-based hospital in the area. There's also a um, specific Cleveland Clinic Medical School that's those students will tend to kind of come over um, for mentorship and research opportunities, um, but that is a separate medical school. But we are still, our primary medical school affiliate is Case Western Reserve, but they, as a medical school, are now a multi-affiliate model. Well, Dr. Tomei, I wonder with this discussion of growth over these several years among the faculty and the changes there at Case, maybe you could give us a sense of what the program structure looks like today, just a a broad overview of what the residents do, what the rotations look like, maybe any elective activities they engage in? Yeah, absolutely. So our our interns will start out. They'll have three months in our neuro ICU. Um, then they have about six months on the neurosurgical service and then three months of other neuroscience electives, so neurology, uh, neuroradiology, and then we have them do a neuroautology rotation because we do a ton of joint work with our ENT colleagues, and we found that that actually really helps to build that collegiality between the departments. And then the second through the fourth years uh, during junior residency is when they'll do the bulk of their on-service rotations, a dedicated functional rotation, a dedicated pediatric rotation, uh, a rotation through our neuroendovascular um, suite, and then also over at the VA. And then they will also do a West side rotation, which is primarily that, that tertiary spine, um, care. Our fifth and our sixth years, and we have a little bit of flexibility to, to try and help residents really, um, get the experience that they want, but it usually occurs during the fifth and the sixth year, or now the fifth and the seventh year because of the cast, uh, fellowship requirements. Uh, we do have two protected research or elective years. And so residents have done anything from getting an advanced degree, like an MPH or an MBA, to the endovascular fellowship, um, doing research in a lab, research um, either kind of 
clinical-based research or basic science research. Uh, and many of them actually take advantage of the CAST fellowships that we have. We currently have CAST-approved fellowships in endovascular, in functional, and in neurocritical care. And then we are working on applying for CAST approval for a spine, fel a spine fellowship as well as a peripheral nerve fellowship. So there's really a, a great opportunity for residents to sort of get whatever they feel like is going to benefit their future career uh, during those years. And then they have one year as the chief resident on service. So, Crystal, we know that all the American and Canadian programs offer excellent training and they have excellent uh, trainees, but most programs have sort of a unique feel or culture, right? So what would you say would be sort of the ideal candidate for someone to match to case? Is, are there particular qualities you guys especially weigh highly as being important uh, in terms of how you review applicants? I think when we're looking at it, we, we want to make sure that somebody is a great fit for our program. We have such a unique level of collegiality. The residents are not only friends, they're in each other's weddings, they get together outside of work all the time, and they really just have this incredible um, friendship bond that makes it so much better for them as they're going through residency and just kind of going through this grueling seven years that they just genuinely enjoy being with each other. And I think that it's really important um, for the for the program that the people that come here really kind of meld into that mentality that, that we're all sort of in this together and we're all going to support each other and we're all going to be there for each other. Um, so certainly I think I, I Kind of joke that if you're the kind of person that doesn't really want to see your work colleagues anywhere except for work, then this is probably not the program for you because I think that we're all such good friends. Um, even at the faculty level, the amount of times that we'll hang out with each other outside of work is just really uncanny and such a uniquely positive experience and part of the reason why I love this program so much. You know, that's just so encouraging to hear. And I, I wonder if, you know, while we're in the mindset of thinking about the fun and the friendship that uh, permeates your program. I, I've said on this podcast many times, I love Cleveland. It's one of the my favorite cities that I visited in the United States. So I wonder if you could talk a bit about what kinds of things the residents do in their free time. I think Cleveland has been a really surprising area for me to learn about. I, I will tell you, I am from Florida and I did not anticipate that I would I would end up anywhere where, where there was weird snow that fell from the sky every winter. Um, but Cleveland is such a fun city to live in. It's incredibly affordable. There's an amazing outdoor scene. The Cleveland Metro Parks have hiking and biking and cross-country skiing in the winter and snowshoeing. And then there's a great cultural scene or art museum here. You know, pre-COVID, they would have every the first Friday of every month, they have a big kind of social mixer at the art museum. There's a fantastic Broadway scene downtown where we have one of the biggest playhouse districts between New York and Chicago. And the restaurant scene is surprisingly awesome. Um, there's a group of restaurants called Cleveland Independence, which are all independently owned restaurants and they, they just really thrive in the area. And I think because it's so affordable as a resident, it's really nice because you actually get to enjoy your life. Um, with what time you have, because you're not spending every last penny just on cost of living. 
So I think it's a really great opportunity for, for a resident who's interested in coming here and actually being able to do things and afford to do things outside of, outside of work. That's phenomenal. And those uh, social hour drink nights at the museums are on my on my list of things to do next time I'm in town. But I, I have to ask, I'm from Jacksonville. Where are you from in Florida? I am originally from Orlando. Aha, Central Florida. Very good. Okay. I found myself in Chicago and the uh, weather reaction is just as strong for me, believe me. <laughs> Um, but that's phenomenal. You know, like I said, I love Cleveland. I love hearing about it. And most importantly, I'll, I'll shut my trap and say that the uh, applicants uh, are very grateful to hear this inside scoop into what Case Western Neurosurgery is all about. So, Dr. Tomei, we really appreciate your time coming on the show today to share that information with the applicants. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the opportunity. Welcome to another episode of the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today we're joined by Dr. Chalet, who's Program Director at UC Davis. Dr. Chalet, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So UC Davis is, of course, part of the UC system, but one thing that makes UC Davis unique is that it's the only program in Northern California with a neurosurgery residency program. Can you talk to us about what that means for the cases that come in through the ED and that get referred to your guys' clinic uh, and the diversity of experiences that the residents really have in terms of the operative stuff and the stuff that they see on a daily basis? Yeah, absolutely. We are located in Sacramento, so capital of California. And as, as you mentioned, uh, between Sacramento and the Oregon border, uh, we are the only academic medical center. So it's a, a very large area. It's about 65,000 square miles of California, 33 counties, 6 million residents. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a real honor for us, honestly, to, to be able to serve such a large area uh, as the kind of tertiary quaternary uh, referral center. Um, and for our residents, I think it provides them with uh, a really a nice breadth of uh, training experience because we are a busy level one trauma center. So we have a lot of urgent and emergent neurosurgery, but we also receive a lot of complex referrals from neurosurgical groups uh, in greater Northern California. So a lot of the complex cranial and complex spine and a lot of the complex pediatric cases are, are routinely referred down to our, our group and then um, we also have a pretty uh, strong telemedicine program as well to really reach out to these communities. So I think that that geographic uh, uh, position that we're in as a program really benefits the residents a lot. You know, that's great. And the other thing that you and I were talking about before we started was that the program has grown a lot in the last several years. Uh, what does that mean in terms of the faculty that you guys have recruited and the subspecialties that are represented within the department? Yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun uh, to watch the growth. I've been on the faculty here for 11 years now. And uh, when I joined, we had uh, six faculty. Uh, and we are now well uh, over uh, 15 uh, total faculty with, um, with uh, 12 neurosurgeons uh, and three neurointensivists. And we're actually still recruiting uh, additional neurosurgeons and neurointensivists. So it's been a, a very exciting decade of growth. Uh, for the residents, they benefit from having access to faculty that are fellowship trained, that are highly uh, skilled at what they do. Uh, it results in, I think, great mentors, um, the opportunity to learn different ways of doing different things. We do have a lot of overlap as well in, in subspecialty expertise. So uh, as a resident, he'll work with uh, multiple cranial and spine surgeons and pediatric surgeons that, uh, you know, have uh, slightly different approaches uh, and um, 
uh, different uh, thoughts about how things are managed. And so it really enhances, I think, the training program. And then also for transition to, to fellowship and to practice, uh, I think our faculty are all really well positioned to mentor and guide our residents. Uh, we're all involved in our respective subspecialty societies. And so having that kind of large faculty complement available to, to guide you and mentor you as you go through residency, I think has been a, a real strong uh, improvement in the program. And it's a, a real strength right now for all of our trainees. Great, great. And then the other thing, of course, is that you went to medical school at UC Davis and you trained at UC Davis for a residency as well. And speaking about the program from the perspective of a medical student and a resident, now a program director, can you tell us what the what your favorite things are about this program, both at, when you were a resident and now as a PD? Yeah, I appreciate that question because um, I, I went away for a couple fellowships and I was very excited to come back because I knew exactly uh, what the strengths of, of this uh, program are. Uh, it's a fantastic environment to, to train uh, and learn in. Um, we're very busy, uh, as I mentioned, but we're also very collaborative, uh, very collegial. I think the residency has always been the center of the department. And uh, myself, uh, in my role as program director, and then our chair, who uh, was a former program director for many years, we've certainly maintained that focus on a resident-centered uh, department. Uh, what that means is that our residents are involved in every aspect of the program. They're uh, even involved in the chair search committee, had a resident uh, representative. Um, they're involved in multiple committees. Our chief residents participate in our faculty meetings. Um, it, it's just, uh, there's a certain culture to this program that we see our residents as colleagues in training. They're just earlier in their training. Uh, we're very heavily invested in both their, you know, academic and professional success as well as their wellness and uh, try to try to make sure that the seven years that they invest with us is just a positive experience. And that's what I experienced when I was a resident here. I felt that my faculty really genuinely cared about uh, me and my goals and also my work-life balance and, and you know, my ability to, to be happy and successful in my career. And I think that's a an area of emphasis that we've tried to maintain in the program. It's all incredibly important. And, you know, the, the unique thing about UC Davis is you know, it's not as big as some of the bigger programs, but it's not a one-year program as well, correct? So what does that mean in terms of the the training that the residents get in terms of getting to choose their surgical cases? Uh, and how does that translate to the call volume and call burden as well for the junior residents? Yeah, so in the past four years, we've moved from uh, one a year, uh, which is where we were at when I became program director, to now two a year. Uh, we currently have a full complement of 14. We've been able to fill all of our positions, and it's really benefited everyone. Uh, we're certainly very busy, and we also have a second uh, training site at Kaiser in Sacramento, which is also another large neurosurgical group with uh, subspecialty trained faculty. So there are ample operative opportunities, you know, for our residents. So there's no shortage of cases. Um, we still actually have uh, cases that sometimes aren't covered by residents because we're just that busy. So the, the clinical training environment is, is, I think, very rich. And having more residents uh, allows uh, them to take advantage of all of those opportunities to get into the OR, get into the IR suites, uh, do the bedside procedures in the ICU. Uh, but it's also, as you mentioned, reduced the call burden, which was a, a challenge when I was a trainee here, uh, when we were one a year. Um, our residents primarily take call uh, in their second, third, uh, and a little bit in their fourth year just to help out the, the juniors. 
Um, but because there are uh, enough residents, the actual amount of call is is not uh, terribly burdensome. So uh, even our junior most residents, you know, are, are taking uh, a call load, which is much, much lower than it used to be. So I think uh, it just gives them the ability to be uh, well rested, to have time to focus on prepping for cases, to go to clinic and see patients and get a feel for the continuity of neurosurgical care. And I, I think it's really enhanced the educational environment uh, very significantly. So I did want to ask you about that Kaiser rotation. I noticed that on your uh, program's website. In terms of the differences of the cases you guys see at UC Davis versus the Kaiser rotation, is there are they similar you know, procedures that are done at both institutions, or do you feel like the Kaiser rotation gives you a different sort of perspective? Is one, you know, more ambulatory surgery, outpatient surgery, or are they are they very similar between the two? Yeah, it's Kaiser is a fantastic partner for us because is uh, if you're familiar with the system, you know that it is a closed healthcare system. So Kaiser patients receive all of their care within Kaiser, and what that means is that they have the ability to provide you know, advanced uh, surgical and, and advanced medical care for everything. Uh, so specific to neurosurgery, they have over a dozen neurosurgeons at Kaiser here in Sacramento. They're all subspecialty trained and phenomenal surgeons. Uh, they're doing complex cranial, complex vascular, complex peripheral nerve cases there uh, that are, you know, in many ways similar to what we do here. Uh, the volume's a bit different because they're treating a defined population of Kaiser members. So their practice uh, distribution is more typical of a general population uh, distribution of neurosurgical cases. Uh, so what that means is they will have a slightly higher percentage of spine, for example. Uh, we get a lot of tertiary quaternary referrals and, and a lot of the more, um, you know, uh, maybe the less complex cases uh, the folks in the community feel comfortable doing and, and they may send the more complex ones to us. So our practice at Davis tends to be a little bit uh, geared towards uh, some of the more, uh, or at least a higher volume of more advanced cases, but you see those at Kaiser as well. And and so um, it, it's a rotation that our residents really, really enjoy. Uh, they go there twice, uh, once as a fourth year and then once as a chief. And it gives them the opportunity, especially in that fourth year rotation to actually get in the OR and do some of those, what you would consider chief level cases before they get the opportunity to do it here. Um, the Kaiser faculty are all very much involved in our teaching. They evaluate our residents. They participate in our interviews and match process as well. So they're really a, a very strong partner. It's a non-academic group. So the faculty there, you know, are not uh, clinician scientists the way the faculty here are. So that does give our residents also uh, exposure to a different type of, of career path, uh, which I think is really important in helping them decide what their next step will be after graduation. It sounds like a great addition from, from, to the program. And lastly, before we wrap up, I just want to ask you uh, what life was like in Northern California and what do the residents do for fun? You know, do they hang out with each other and what there is to do in Sacramento? Yeah, we have a fantastic group and I, I it's it's such an honor to serve as their program director and, and they're just a, a wonderful, uh, diverse group from a variety of, of educational backgrounds and personal backgrounds, a variety of uh, personal interests as well and career interests. Um, and they just get along so well. They're really a, a very strong team, um, very uh, supportive of one another. Um, it's it's a lot of uh, fun to watch them go through residency. They certainly find uh, opportunities to, uh, you know, bond outside of work and spend time together. 
uh, we also do that with them as well. We have quarterly uh, kind of outings, uh, what we call wellness events, where we just kind of get out of the workplace with our residents and, and have some fun. Sacramento is a great place to live. It's uh, you know a, a fun city with a farm to fork kind of culture, um, a lot of outdoor activities. So our residents are often out biking or hiking. Um, it's very easy, as you may know, to get up to the snow. So it's it's very common for our residents to take a trip up to Tahoe for a weekend or down to Napa Valley for some wine tasting. Um, so it's, I think the quality of life here is, is really nice. And from my perspective, uh, our residents seem to really enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah, that's great. Someone as, you know, speaking from someone who's training in Miami, it's, you know, it's great to be training at a place where other residents come to vacation when, you know, they have their two weeks off. So <laughs> Dr. Chalet, thank you for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate you sharing more about your program with all our listeners. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today we have another installment in our series spotlighting residency programs for the 2021-22 interview season. We are delighted today to be joined by Dr. Nate Nair, the Program Director at Georgetown. Dr. Nair, welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. JP, Mike, thanks so much for having us. It's a great opportunity and I really appreciate it. You know, we're, we're so excited to be able to get all these program directors on to, to give applicants this year a sense of departments across the country. And so right out of the gate, why don't you just give our listeners a sense of what Georgetown is like from the inside? What's the, the culture, the flavor, the feel of the program from your perspective? Yeah, that's a great question. And we get asked that very frequently. I think what I tell applicants and what we see on the inside is this is a very flat program, meaning it is not very hierarchical. Uh, residents, attendings uh, communicate with ease. The resident attending camaraderie is there the moment you meet us. Uh, this isn't the kind of program where attendings require appointments to meet with residents. Residents just walk into their office. Um, that flat nature helps with mentoring. It helps with the overall work relationship. And our goal here is to train neurosurgeons to be the kind of neurosurgeons they want to be, not to pigeonhole them within a specific type of neurosurgery or whether it's private or academic practice, we want to work to get them to where they want to be. It very much is fitting with Georgetown's overall ethos statement of cure personalis or the care of the whole person. Well, that's a great message. And I think uh, folks would be excited to train in a program like that. Uh, tell us a little about how the years lay out. It's a seven-year program, right? Tell us how, how the rotations go. Yeah, and I will uh, add the caveat that now that we have a uh, partnership that started last year as both research and clinical with the NIH, we are in a transition uh, that's ongoing. So the rotations now, our goal has been to have the rotations for the one NIH resident and the two Georgetown residents be exactly the same through their time. So uh, as applicants now going forward, what, what it would be is you start with rotations in your intern year at Georgetown, Washington Hospital Center, and the NIH. That's the same for everyone. Uh, those are standard intern rotations, um, a lot of floor care, but I will say that we attempt to get our interns into the OR early on. That follows on with their second year and their second year residents 
rotate primarily at Georgetown and then our Trauma Hospital, Washington Hospital Center, a split time between both. That's a much larger uh, operative experience. And then following that year, the third year, uh, residents will now, and again, we haven't yet got to this point, but residents are going to split their time between the NIH, Georgetown, and Washington Hospital Center, or sorry, Georgetown Children's and NIH. Um, that's going to be a new experience, especially for our residents to go to the NIH uh, as a junior resident. Uh, and we're hopeful that that means that a lot of our Georgetown residents are going to have an opportunity to build mentorship relationships that will carry on into their fourth and fifth years, where our residents have two elective years that they can spend at the NIH or in other academic endeavors. Our goal for that two-year period is that they do something that is career arc bending. We want them to be able to look back at this unique experience of having two years in the midst of your training as something that really changed the trajectory of their career. And then after their fourth and fifth years, they go into sixth and then seventh year. And the NIH residents will spend that all at the NIH. The Georgetown residents will spend that at Georgetown and then in elective, potentially IR or neuroradiology, neuro-oncology, or peripheral nerve. And then in their seventh year, all three residents will come back and, and split time between Washington Hospital Center, a Georgetown spine service, and then a Georgetown cranial service. You know, at the time we're having this conversation, uh, we've spoken with Dr. John Heiss at the NIH, their program director, and, and that episode has aired. So it's interesting to hear about this evolving relationship between your two programs from the other side of things. And it's interesting to see how much time at the NIH is both built in for your residents, as well as available during those elective years in the middle, as you described. Um, I wonder, what what's the general breakdown among your residents in terms of how much they seem to be utilizing that versus taking perhaps more conventional or more typical for your institution avenues during their elective time. Do, do, do the residents seem excited about this growing relationship with the NIH? Yeah, and, and I will say that this relationship started as a research-only rotation, and that this was a resident-driven opportunity. We had a resident who wanted to spend his time at the NIH, and in Working through that with the RRC, we developed a research-only rotation for those two years. And since that resident, um, we've had about 50% of our residents spend their that two years at the NIH doing clinical or bench research, and, and they've loved it. It's been a great opportunity. One, because we have great partners there, right? Great faculty, great mentors for them. But two, it's also an opportunity that we at Georgetown can't provide necessarily because the NIH is the NIH, right? I mean, it's, it's bar none, one of the greatest research facilities in the world. And to have our residents be miles away and still, and be able to go there provides them a great opportunity. So our residents really do love the opportunity. Some residents have chosen to go to children's. We've had residents go to a biomechanics spine lab. But just having the opportunity available to them, I think, opens doors. Now, you guys are in a very unique 
city and setting, which is Washington, D.C., and um, there are some programs close by, but the only other one there is, is George Washington have a program? George Washington, yep. There, there's also the consortium program and Fairfax Inova uh, neurosurgical residency as well. Right. There are a lot of programs sort of in that area around you guys, but living in D.C. is unique, right? I've been to Georgetown. It's a special place. Can you tell us about what it's like to live there for seven years? Yeah, I mean, I think D.C. is one of those really wonderful cities that has all the uh, things you want in a large city. It has the cultural as the sporting events, but it also has, it's not a large physical city. Population-wise, it's not huge. So it's not a city where you're worried about your parking or your housing or things along those lines. And it's a city that is really accessible to the surrounding nature that of the Chesapeake on one side, you have the mountains on the other. Um, it's a great place to live. I mean, it, I, I love living here. It's a phenomenal place to live because of all the opportunity to do things while you're not doing the work of being a neurosurgeon. That's phenomenal. And, and I wonder, touching on kind of that unique setting, obviously we, we've talked about the relationship with the NIH, but I wonder, do residents have any opportunities for other clinical or non-clinical activities outside of the Georgetown uh, family during their elective time? Do, do residents do any work with the FDA or any strictly policy work kind of branching out into the larger healthcare landscape? Yeah, that is a great question. So obviously we have residents that do research Children's Hospital, which is its own standalone institution. We have a resident right now who is going to be entering her uh, fourth year who is planning to do an MBA during her time. Really, we're very open to any opportunity that a resident is interested in that they feel will alter the arc of their career. And I go back to that because we want this to be a unique experience. We don't necessarily want it to be just additional case. We're confident they're going to get their case volume in their clinical years. We want it to be an academic experience that they can look back on and say that shaped the neurosurgeon I am today, sort of 10 years down the line. Well, that's fantastic. I, there's so many opportunities in DC, uh, do a White House fellowship, work as JP said at FDA or NIH, really fantastic uh, opportunities. But can I ask you about the cost of living? Because we asked the New York programs about this. It's very expensive to live in New York. And so the pay is commensurate. I understand it's also similarly expensive in DC. And, and what do you guys do as a program to help your residents out with that? Well, uh, you know, as you know, our all cities sort of because of the cost of living have adjusted uh, salaries for residents. So I can say that MedStar's salaries are certainly well within the norm for having a wage and, and earning a living to survive and do well in a city like this, not just survive, but to enjoy the city. And in terms of cost of living housing, the one, the one, uh, part about being in D.C., but D.C. being sort of its own standalone city is people can live in Maryland. They can live in Virginia. They can live in D.C. So they can kind of choose the living environment that they want. And it can be anywhere from true urban to suburban, right? And, and because any of those areas 
is an acceptable place for them to live. And we have residents who live, who want to live right in the heart of DC. We have residents with families who've made choices to live further out in Virginia because of cost of living and, and the size of the place they can get. We've had residents who, who live further uh, north in Maryland. So it, I don't think cost of living has ever been a barrier to our residents being able to do the things they want during residency. Phenomenal. Well, Dr. Mayor, we want to thank you for your time today to come on the podcast and share for all the applicants this insight into what Georgetown Neurosurgery has to offer. Thanks for coming on the Neurosurgery Podcast. JP, Mike, thanks very much for the opportunity. And, and really, I, I think all the listeners should applaud you for what you're doing. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.